Thanksgiving. I know it looks a little different this year, um, but I hope and pray that somehow in the midst of your day that you had some special moments uh, with family and friends. And if someone could explain to me what happened to the week between Thanksgiving and Advent starting, that would be really great, because um, that's the week that I normally live in uh, where I'd have all the leftovers from Thursday, and then I could get the Christmas decorations out, but nope. Not this year, and why would I expect anything different, right? Because it's 2020. Enough said. So we're starting Advent today, y'all. So come on. The word Advent itself means coming. But the season of Advent marks those four weeks before Jesus' birth. Early Christians in the 6th century decided they were the ones that they wanted to celebrate his birth, and they, it seemed logical to them to be intentional and reflecting on his, to reflect on his birth both in the past, in the present, and in the future. So they would take this time to reflect what it meant to them during this season. It's meant to be a period of time um, where it's considered quiet, where we can turn our thoughts and our minds towards hope and peace and joy and love and light. And given the year that we've all had, um, we're in need of Advent more than ever. Amen? And so we've called this series In the Waiting. And actually, I think we're kind of funny human beings when it comes to waiting. For instance, does anybody have an instant pot as well as a slow cooker? Okay. It's easy to wait when it's on our own terms, right? Um, we live in a world where practically anything that we can order today can be delivered tomorrow. And heaven help us if it takes two days or if it's going to take a week. Well, you know. But here's my absolute favorite of why I think we're so funny. Some of us, and I had some friends actually do this, they sat in their car for 12 hours to get fast food from a place called In-N-Out. Now think about that for a little bit, would you? I end my case of I think we're kind of a funny people. So why do we struggle so much with waiting? Unless, of course, it's on our own terms. It's because we've learned to live in the quick and now. We've learned this. It's conditioned us. We want things here. We want things now. It's this quick and now. And we know that waiting is hard. It's not an easy thing to do. It's frustrating at times. It can stretch us. It can exhaust us physically and mentally and emotionally. And if I were to ask you what it is that you're waiting on or you're waiting for, that list would just go on and on and on, and so would all of the emotions that come in the midst of that. It can stretch us to to beyond anything that we believe is possible. Sometimes we think we've reached our limit of waiting only to find out that we're going to need to wait a little more. It can exhaust our patience, which can affect our faith. And when our faith starts to fade, our hope can follow. And it can lead us into some very dangerous territories where we can start to blame God and allow bitterness to come into our spirit. Or even worse, when we start to focus solely on that object, whatever it is that we're waiting on, and we start to focus on that, it can become the thing that we try to manipulate. Because we try to take things into our own hands. This year alone, how many things have we had to wait on? I mean, if you think about it, <laughs> actually I just thought we all had to wait on some toilet paper at some point. That's not even in my notes. It just came. 
At the beginning of this year, we were waiting to figure out what is this COVID-19 virus? Do we have it? We're waiting on test results. We're waiting for an election to happen to be over. We're waiting on vote counts. We're waiting on wondering how our kids' schools are going to operate. We're waiting for a vaccine, and we're wondering when it will be available. We're waiting to see when we can all be together again. It's been a lot. And that list goes on and on and on, even without a worldwide pandemic. But the truth is, God's people are a people of waiting. And we have been from the beginning of time. It's unavoidable. But I'm learning that it's what we do in the midst of our waiting that matters. Our flesh that lives in that quick and now can lead us to sin. But our spirit, that place that's deep inside of us, at the core of who we are, we have a choice to, where we can choose to trust in God's absolute truth. We can believe in his promises, even when we don't see him, we don't feel him. And it's in that place where hope can make a home and give us the courage and the patience to trust him while we wait. This morning, we're going to take a look at a group of individuals who found themselves in a season of waiting. And while you're finding your way to Isaiah 64, let me give you a little bit of context for what we're about to dive into. At this point in the Old Testament, God has freed the Israelites, which were held in captivity for hundreds of years. They've experienced firsthand the power of God in miraculous ways. He's parted the Red Sea so they could walk through it as a way of escape. He's been their cloud by day, their fire by night, a constant visual for them to know where they needed to go. When they grumbled of hunger, he gave them manna. When they were thirsty, he gave them water. So it's in his actions of care over and over and over again during this time that he's demonstrated that his profound love for these people. But the Israelites have grown weary and have fallen into patterns of sin, despite the prophet Isaiah's words declaring, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These are God's words. They're his promise. But the Israelites have grown tired of waiting at this point and have taken matters into their own hands. They seem to have no concern about their sinful condition because God has hidden himself from them and they see no hope. So why would they even search for him or even pray? And they're waiting the powerful things that God's already done is starting to fade from their minds and they're moving further and further away from him. But the prophet Isaiah recognizes this hopelessness, their desperation, and he begins to share a prayer on their behalf to God. In verse 1, he starts by saying, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That word rend means open. So, oh, oh, that you would open the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Isaiah is calling on God to open up the heavens one more time because he knows the desperate condition of these people. He believes that if God could just make one more special appearance, it would be the very thing needed to motivate these people to return to him, to worship him, to walk in obedience with him. He knows, he, he actually says, calls it awesome things. God, you've done some awesome things. 
that we could have never expected, we never would have known to even hope for. Things like freeing them from captivity, parting that sea, providing for their physical needs, and leading them day by day and night by night. But let's keep reading the next part of that prayer in verse 3. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Isaiah is confessing there is no other God. We see his worship in these words of his prayer. He believes and trusts that God is working on, the, for, on behalf of those who are not only waiting for him, but remembering the things that he's done for them. Let's go to verse 5. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have given us over to our sins. We hear the desperation and the lament in these words. Isaiah has turned his prayer from acknowledging who God is and what he's done to this honesty, this real and raw honesty saying, here's the deal, God, we've messed up. Our sins are drying us up, and they're carrying us further and further away from you. We're unclean. Is there any hope at all for these people? No one calls out to you or even tries to search for you because we can't find you, we can't see you, we can't feel you. But we do know that you're letting us sit in our own filth, that you've given us over to our own sins. And none of this feels very good. But look what happens in verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord, do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. I love this prophet's heart for God's people, as if God ever needs reminding. Anybody else ever try to help God out from time to time? Isaiah starts at beginning this, his appeal, knowing full well that the people's sins have broken fellowship, or at the very least, they've hurt their relationship with God. But he still petitions on their behalf, saying, Lord, Despite our sinning nature, remember, we're still yours. You're our father. You made us. You created us. You shaped us. You molded us. So please don't be so mad that you can't forgive us. And God, maybe, I'm just saying, you could put the memory of these sins behind you and have mercy and some compassion on us. After all, we're your chosen people. Isn't that what we do at times? I'm just saying, God. Hey, you made us, God. Anyone else identifying with this prayer? Despite the waiting and the weariness and the sinful conditions, Isaiah still has hope. He holds belief behind the words in verse 4 when he says, No eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. This praying prophet is choosing to trust that in his waiting, He's choosing to believe that God is acting on their behalf. And so on behalf of these people, he believes in the promise of God's words, even if there's no understanding of how long 
it would take for that promise to be kept. Now I want to pause here for just a moment and help us understand where we're at in the story. From the time Isaiah prophesied about the one who would come, the one who would be called Emmanuel, from that time until when Jesus' actual birth happened, it is a span of 700 years. And out of those 700 years, 400 of those years are years of silence. They're called the intertestamental period. Say that three times real fast. And what that means is that there was nothing new revealed. God had gone silent. He wasn't, he wasn't revealing anything new. He had given the prophets all the words that they needed to be able to share with the peoples for what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to walk in obedience, and how to worship him. But because we're on, side of, on this side of history, we know how the story continues. Galatians 4.4 4 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. But when the fullness of time had come, think about that. During these, during the 700 years, there was generation after generation lived and married, had babies. They buried their loved ones, all trying to hold on to the hope of these words of this prophecy that had been given to them. And then Galatians says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. But when the fullness of time had come, fullness, it's a state of being complete or whole. When the fullness of time had come, meaning in God's time, when all the things he wanted was ready, the right time arrived for this promise to be kept in the one called Emmanuel. Now, I have a close friend who just recently delivered twins. They are the sweetest packages wrapped up in the names of James and Charlotte. And trust me, no one wanted the fullness of time to come more than my friend, especially in those last few days. She was longing for both the physical relief in her body as well as she was just ready to say hello to these little ones. And I watched her in those last days when the waiting was the hardest, when no remote control was going to fast forward through any of it. She just had to sit. She just had to wait. At one point, they actually thought the twins were coming and they went to the hospital uh, only to discover that um, it was not time yet and they sent her home. They kept her overnight, sent her home the next day with the babies safely tucked inside because the fullness wasn't ready. Her body needed that extra time to physically prepare itself for their births. Each day, each hour, each moment was needed to reach the fullness. And ironically, my nephew's wife, um, they were also expecting twins. I don't have any clue why all the twins all of a sudden in my life, but I'm, it's very exciting. Um, Carrie Ann was due the end of December, and earlier this week there were some slight complications since they, they decided they would do a C-section yesterday. But on Thanksgiving morning, I got a call about 8.30, and they said, um, those babies are coming now. And they did. They arrived around 10.30 and 11 that morning, and they're wrapped up in names called Harmony Marie and Henry Charles. And I thought about the difference in the fullness of time for both my friend and, and for Carrie Ann. It looked so different, right? And isn't that just like God? His ways are never our ways. His timelines are never like ours. His thoughts are never like ours. But here's the deal. 
he did deliver on his promise. We know that in the fullness of his time, only when everything and everyone was ready, even though it might have taken 700 years from the prophecy of Isaiah to when the cry of a baby shattered that silence, it did happen. And it's in God's promises where we can learn how to trust in the sacredness of our waiting, and it's in the fullness of who Jesus is that enables us to live life and to to find our hope in him despite not understanding timelines and growing weary in the process. There's no one that God has used more in my life than my husband, Chuck. Um, He's been with Jesus for three years tomorrow. And the impact of our story together, I have to be honest, it continues to shape me in who I am today. And while God definitely authored our story together, it's not one without hard realities. Chuck's individual story held chapters of incarceration, and that truth was a thread that wove itself into so many spaces of our lives together. And several years ago, he was involved in a traffic violation resulting in a long seven-month wait uh, for a trial to happen. And because he was on parole, this violation was also a violation of his parole conditions. So each day felt like a year, and our lives were on hold on so many different levels. Desperately trying to hold on to hope, our reality was more consumed with anxiety and fear in just in the midst of the unknown. Because the weight of this decision, and I mean W-E-I-G-H-T, of this decision was so heavy because depending on the outcome, it was either going to allow us to move forward in our lives together in this free world or else he was gonna have to return to prison. And it was just a change that I had no clue how we would navigate. And the night before this decision was made, I found myself repeating, he is faithful in all he does. He is faithful in all he does. And it's a verse that I'd stumbled on months ago or months prior to this moment. And it's actually found in Psalm 33. It says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. And I sat in darkness that night trying to wrap my mind around these truths and I just felt God really pressed on my spirit. Cindy, you find it so easy to worship me, to be thankful, to be grateful when my answers are yes. But what about if it's a no? And I have to tell you, um, in, that, in that moment, my first response, that good Christian girl in me wanted to respond and say, well, of course, of course you're faithful in the nose. But because of what we were sitting in, the question actually only caused more panic for me. Was God trying to give me some kind of a hint of what was to come? And deep down, there was, I was just really, really struggling. Did I really believe that he could be faithful in the nose? So I didn't answer. I just sat in the silence. And the next morning, we received a yes, and our lives would continue, and there was great rejoicing in the land, only to find out about 30 minutes later, this was the first part of a two-part decision that needed to be made. 
that no one in the, in the midst of seven months had ever shared with us. And so somehow, we made it into those next seven days. And after sitting in a long meeting on a Wednesday morning, talking through a bunch of legal matters, the judge said, well, as you may or may not know, I can take up to five days to make my decision. And I have to tell you, everything in me went, the air just went out, I was done. I was done. I made my way outside. I remember standing in this parking lot, staring at this tree, and the, the leaves were blowing. And I heard these words again. You find me faithful in the yeses, but what about the not yets? And I have to tell you, outwardly, I looked very calm. But in, internally, my heart was screaming, of course, I want to believe that you're faithful in the yeses and the noes and the not yets. But when I can't see what you're doing, when I can't feel you, when you're silent, can I trust that you're working with our best interests in mind, that you still love us, that we haven't reached some limitation of grace? And ironically, the thing was, is I had no clue standing there how close we were to the answer. We didn't have to wait five days. That answer came in about four hours. And it was a yes. And our lives continued, but I will tell you that that season of waiting changed me. I live differently. I don't have it down perfectly. I still question God. I sometimes, even in looking back and studying for this morning, I look back and I think I am way more like the Israelites than I want to give myself credit for. And sometimes my words mirror those of Isaiah's. When I say, oh God, would you, and then fill in the blank. The truth is, as God's people, we experience his faithfulness over and over in our lives, just like the Israelites. And more times than not, it's not only when we look back that we can see what he was doing in ways we would have never even known to look for. His timeline doesn't look like ours. Sometimes his faithfulness doesn't look like we want it to. But he's still good, and he is faithful, and nothing is ever wasted. His ways are always better than ours, and he uses it all to shape us and form us. We all know this year has been a lot. Halloween night, I saw a photo of a man dressed with a t-shirt that had 2020 written across the chest, and he was standing in a trash can. And it was both funny and sad all at the same time because his message was very clear as it rang out, this year is in the trash. And ironically, a few minutes later, these words faded up on some TV commercial, and they caught my attention. It says to focus on the things that matter. And the truth is, 2020 hasn't been the year that we all hoped it would be. It's deeply affected all of us, not just a few of us. It's revealed the layers of brokenness in which we live. We're not the same people today that we were back in January when we started this year. But here's the most encouraging thing I can share with you. We get an opportunity today, starting today, to let Advent lead us through these next few weeks in focusing on the things that matter, not what the news people tell us we should focus on. It's the same things that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was preparing to leave this earth. He had 
He had gone to the cross, he had left that tomb empty, and he was giving them some last minute instructions. Because he said, hey, I'm gonna go away, and I'm coming back, but what I do, I don't want you to sit and wait. I want you to focus on some things that are near and dear to my heart. And while it's been over 2,000 years that we've been in the waiting for him to return, way longer than 700 years, his words are the same for today, pandemic or not. He says, I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I want you to hold on to his truths and his promises, to remind yourselves during this season of what God says he will do, and to let the love that he has for us to sink deep into the deepest part of who we are. He says, I want you to love yourself, to live life to the fullest, because that's why he came. It's life through him, in the here and now. He tells us that we will have trouble, but he'll always be with us. That we can hold the hand of grief, to hold the hand of hope. Because it's in Jesus that we get to do that. We have to walk the path of heartache to discover the healing. Jesus enables us to do that. And he says, I want you to love your neighbor, to take care of the vulnerable, the marginalized. I want you to see them as I see them. I want you to look past the pain and to see what their needs are and go and take care of them and love them to not let your differences cause division. Learn from each other and love each other. Listen, Jesus sits with us in the middle of our stories today, right here, right now. He's not waiting for us to finish our lives here on this earth and then join him. He's with us right now. In whatever time, whatever it is that we might be waiting on or we're waiting for, his words can be trusted. I loved Pastor Muhammad last week when he said, we have hope because of God's promises. He is faithful in the yeses and the noes, even when we don't understand. And he's faithful even in the not yets. For it's in the fullness of who this baby is that we can experience this hope not as a mere emotion, but actual hope in him because he is our hope. This season of Advent that we're starting today can hold sacred space for each of us if we let it. As we move into these last few days of 2020, we get a chance to take inventory of where our hearts and our minds are. And to be, to be honest like Isaiah, to remind ourselves of what the, are the things that God has promised. We need Advent more than ever this year. Hope can move us forward in the wholeness and the healing. It can move us forward to trust that in the fullness of time, things, all things will be redeemed and that one day he will come again, just like he and I want to ask you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to think about that thing or things that you're waiting on or that you're waiting for. I want you to give yourself permission to be honest about where you are in that, to take inventory of where you are and where God is, God is in it with you or not, whether you feel like he might be quiet. 
Do you really believe that he's faithful in the yeses and the noes and the not yets? We're going to give you a minute just to sit in some silence. Those of you who are home at home, you can hit pause if you want, if you need a little bit more time. Those of you who have your Advent kits, we're going to have our family lead us in that in just a moment. But before we go there, I just want to give us a moment to take this inventory about where are we. Father, would you just speak in these next few moments? Would you just press on our spirit the thing that you want us to engage with, with you? Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being our hope. God, would you just sit in these moments? Come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lowly exile here, until the Son of God Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to the Twenty twenty, the year that feels like a decade. Hope seems elusive this year. The truth is, for many it's a concept best saved for another time. A time without so much disappointment and loss. The cost of hope this year is massive. The world scoffs at our hope. Nice joke. Welcome to reality, though. This is 2020. Despair seems much more familiar this year. Like an old, ratty, torn, and stained sweatshirt. It might be comfy, but it sure is ugly. Hope, peace, joy, love, light. Save those for another year. This is 2020. We are living in a world that desperately needs hope, a holy rope to cling to. It is our gift to the crying world. The sighing world. Hope is what we have to offer this dying world. 700 years they waited in hope, waiting for fulfillment, to see if Isaiah's words still meant truth or were just wishful thinking. Isaiah and other prophets spoke, and then, 400 years of silence. Did the people wonder if Isaiah had lost it? Or was it they who had tossed their logic for believing him, for trusting that the words he spoke centuries ago would come to be? 
Were they just crazy? How long would they wonder? How long would they wait? The world full of silence for 400 years, tears, and decades of waiting, the promise fading. Israel on the verge of losing all hope. But hope shushes doubt. It speaks into the silence. I believe. Words of pain and possibility and promise, sometimes whispered from the heart, or sometimes screamed wildly into the unknown. And then, you acted on behalf of those who were waiting on you, those in the waiting. It was the fullness of time, finally. And we are here, two millennia and two decades in the waiting, the same doubt, the same hope. When will you act again on our behalf, O God? In the chaos of 2020, we lift our eyes to rest on you. You are our hope. In the loss and disappointment and division and pain, you are our hope. In the midst of this season of busy and doing, you are our hope. We slow, we pause, we hold our breath in anticipation. The waiting is hard, but it is holy. We invite you into the waiting. We believe the fullness of time will happen again. This is our hope. You are our hope. Jesus. Until the Son of God appeared Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel Shall come to thee, O Israel Churches, we look to Advent to lead us in this season. We're going to sing a song over you, and we invite you to sit, stand, kneel. This is your time with Jesus. Jesus. 